Okay, Groovers and Rugrats, this is Adam Piggott coming to you on the Pushing Rubber Podcast, episode 145, Sunday morning. Um, the Catholic Church that I used to go to before the lockdown started back in early March is uh, live streaming their empty church service again. How pathetic. I wrote a message to the parish priest, actually, a few days ago, saying that enough was enough. Defy your, your bishop and open the goddamn church already. And there was no response because they're a bunch of cowards. God, how cowardly has the Catholic Church been in this time? They really had a chance to step it up and to reclaim their lost ground. But oh, what a bunch of losers. This is nothing else to say for it. A bunch of losers. Remember the old separation of church and state? Yeah, about that. Anyway, this episode is called the 19 months episode. I already know what the title is for this episode before I started recording. Normally I do an an episode and halfway through I'll kind of work out what I'm going to call it based on what I managed to come up with but this time I'm going into it I already know the title that I want it to have and I worked this out yesterday uh drank quite a few mojitos yesterday out of my deck of course I make a wicked mojito since I owned and ran a cocktail bar for a long time um and uh got the fresh mint there out in the patio cooked up some uh, barbecue pork ribs yesterday with uh, Meathead's uh, dry rub on them. Just under three hours, I did them four. Had a bit of trouble with the grill temperature, or the barbecue temperature, sorry. Couldn't keep it at 225F. Kept jumping up towards 300. Ah, what are you gonna do? Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. They were still good. They were still good. Gave a plate full to my uh, Direct neighbours, we have our, both our decks which are connected together, there's a little fence between them, out on the water, and uh, they're my landlords as well, and they love my ribs. And uh, my my neighbour said to me, I feel really guilty, I can't give anything back to you, and I just put my hand out and looked at the absolutely beautiful place in which we live on the water in front of a windmill. I mean, it's seriously unbelievable. And I said to him, mate, <laughs> give me enough already for this. Um, 19 months, so what's all that about? Well, it's been 19 months since uh, my ex-wife blew up our marriage, walked out. And for those of you who've, you know, been listening and reading me in that time before, you, you know, will have followed my reactions to it, my way of dealing with it, my way of pushing through and surviving from it. And the reason that this is called the 19-month episode is because... uh, Well, I'm going to go through the lessons that I've learned in that time, but 
and I didn't say this on the on the on the show notes. It's taken me nineteen months to get over it, which means that I'm over it. It was this week, Tuesday. I was driving to work Tuesday morning across the polder fields outside of the small town where I live. Beautiful, picturesque. Holland is such a beautiful country, particularly in the early morning light. Stunning. Had the road to myself because of uh, the plague. And um, I suddenly had... It's just an o- not an overwhelming sensation, that's not true, but a real awareness of feeling good about myself, about feeling, I would suppose you could say, at peace with myself. And I realized in that moment this week that I was over it, that I'd got past it, and I'd managed to get out the other side. And it was the re- the moment when I realized that in the car, I felt, I would say, the last weight lift off my shoulders. And I knew that I was through. 19 months. That's... A fairly long time to be in the psychological shit as such. And without doubt, the the toughest period of my life, by far. So what have I learned... How did I get through it? And more importantly, would, looking back on it, would I have done anything differently from the point where she walked out of the marriage knowing what I know now? First of all, I'm very happy to say that I wouldn't have done anything differently. which means I played it the right way. What are some of the key things that I did in these 19 months to get me through it? Number one... Apart from one very brief dalliance, I avoided the chicks. Stayed away. It's not that I turned down offers. I didn't even put myself in a position where they could eventuate. Which was not that hard to do. And that's just a personal thing for me. But it, and what I mean by that is, is that chicks have always been my weakness. Uh, in the sense that I've, I've always enjoyed them as such. But 
uh, I knew that my judgment was clouded and that the best thing to do it was to do nothing on that front and to stay far away. You hear so many stories of guys, you know, getting divorced and six months later getting married again. And of course, that one ends in a divorce as well because it is a decision based on survivability, on hooking up with someone for the sake of not being alone because by being alone, you've got to face your shit. You can't. You can't off-source, outsource it. You can't off-put it. You can't uh, bury it away in other things that you're doing at the time. Um, so people do that for the short-term relief, and then longer term, of course, it's it's a it's a mistake because you can't. Eventually, you have to deal with the shit if you live long enough, and you've just compounded it by creating more shit on top of it, shit piled on top on top of shit. It's a double, triple shit sandwich that you create in that situation. So I went to ground. That's what I did. And I did turn down a few offers as well, particularly while I was in the US last year. For some reason, bartending girls like the Australian accent. Don't know why. Don't know why. Anyway. Um, so that's number one thing. And that was a personal thing for me. Um, the second thing was, as, you know, weak and effectual and hopeless and cowardly as it is, I went back to the Catholic Church. So I went back. Uh, to God after an absence of 30 years and did that help me in this time? Absolutely, undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be sitting here right now 19 months later, this in control of myself, this much at peace with myself and this, you know, this level of contentment. There's no way... Um, and that's not me preaching, guys. It's just giving it to you straight. Got me through. So that was very, 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 very critical in this whole thing. And surprising for me as well. But, uh, but when you look at it just even a little bit deeply... The fact that the left hates the church so much and is so against it and has done everything within its power to destroy it over the last 60 years tells you everything you need to know about its importance. If it wasn't important, they wouldn't be there doing that. I mean, it's their number one focus. Since the time of the Great Plague, and of course the churches have all shut because they're a bunch of cowards. 
because it's deemed going to church as a non-essential service apparently you can you know you can congregate in parks you can go back to sports clubs or whatever but you can't go to church in Holland it says everything you need to know I I can't see myself long term here specifically for that reason But that's okay. What else did I do to get through these 19 months? What else got me through this 19 months? I didn't contact her. Once it was done, and that was basically the divorce went through and everything was done about July last year. It was... I think I got back from Louisiana the last week of June, first week of July, something like that, I can't remember. It all went through. She had everything piled up and ready for me to sign. Notarize. Did it. Got my stuff. And that was it. No contact. That was hard. Your brain can always think up a good excuse why you should just send an email or something like that. But I was stone cold on that one. Stone cold. To the effect that the only uh, contact we had was on Christmas Day last year where her and her brother separately sent me Happy Christmas, Hope You Have a Great New Year and a Brilliant 2020 message which is like, what the fuck? And I just responded politely. Same to you. No point. No point in blowing it up. Zero drama. Why did they send me those messages? I don't care. I don't care. It's very important when your world has gone to shit that you make no sudden or important moves. Like my instinctive reaction the day after she walked out on our marriage was to head back to Australia. That was my instinctive reaction. And that would have been the wrong thing to do. That's a sudden move. You've got to go to ground, you've got to put up the barricades, the sandbank, sandbags, you've got to mine the approaches, you've got to have your barbed wire at least 10 rows deep, you've got to have uh, all your artillery zeroed in on the 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000 metre approaches. The mortar's all ready to go and you don't even stick your head out. And it's hard. No doubt about it. Very, very, very hard. Which is why you don't add to it.
I didn't talk about it with people. And the reason for that is there's nothing that they can say to make you feel better. There's nothing they can say that you don't already know. And there's nothing you can say that would make you feel less humiliated than what you already do. It's private, so you keep it to yourself. And which is why on the blog and the podcast, I did a few things on it and then that was it. Said my piece and then it's done. You're not going to get any sympathy, A, because only girls look for sympathy. And B, because people don't mean it. They're just embarrassed for you. That's the sum reality of it all. So in effect, what you've got to do is you've got to find your backbone... And you gotta suck it up and get on with it. Hold fast. No one's doing you any favors. What else did I do? I didn't spend any money. The only purchase I've made of any note since the divorce happened was 500 euros for a stand-up paddleboard. Which I used yesterday. It was quite nice. But apart from that, no major purchases of anything. Which means I saved my money. Which means I'm looking okay. I actually think this is a really critical one. At least for me, but I think for everyone. It would be very easy in the circumstances to fall into the trap of uh, saying stuff like, you deserve it, and going out and making stupid purchases. But all that will do will compound the issue, compound the problem, because now you have the added burdens of buyer's remorse and the dread feeling of your finances being crap on top of everything else. The best thing I could do to get back at my wife was to be financially better off in the whole thing than when the divorce happened. And that's what I've managed to do. 
So don't underestimate how critical that is. And it's very easy financially to fall into that trap of the whole, oh, you know, you really deserve this, man. You really need this, you know. You've got to give yourself something to get you through. Nah, you're just fucking up. And you know it. Because if it wasn't a fuck up, you wouldn't need to say you deserve it. Nothing, man. I didn't buy anything apart from that stand-up paddleboard. He resisted the urge. Talking major purchases here. I mean, I still bought booze. I still bought cigars. Still purchased some books here and there. Some albums, sure. But major purchases, stay away. You're just not thinking straight. And the purchase will sit there looking at you and make you feel like a miserable cunt that you are. That's a fact. That's a fact, Jack. And take that one to the bank. There are so many ways you can compound the problem when something as earth-shattering as a divorce like this happens. Now, for those listeners who aren't privy, you're probably wondering to yourself, what about the kids? There are no kids that I know of. Of course, there are no kids with my ex-wife because it would be hard for her to hide a nine-month pregnancy from me. So there are no kids in that regard. So lucky or unlucky? Lucky because that didn't complicate the divorce. Unlucky because... She would never have divorced me if we'd had kids, which is why she didn't have kids. That's a fact. But this week, the weight lifted from the shoulders in the sense that she could phone me now, right at this moment, Beg me to take it back, and I'd be okay. I'd be able to turn it down. That's the point I passed on Tuesday morning driving to work in my car. And that's when you know. That's when you know you're going to be okay, that you're free. Does it mean that I've made a complete recovery? Well, here's the honest truth, boys. You never make a complete recovery from something like this. But whereas before I used to mark my day by how long it took me from the moment I woke up to think about it, Now, yeah, now it doesn't really enter my head. Even though I'm talking about it now, but there was a purpose for this, obviously. 
There was one thing that I did spend money on this in this time, and that was rent. Now, well, I had to have somewhere to live. So I had to pay rent. But I paid a little bit more than I could have. I probably paid about 30% more than I could have if I just found a normal spot, like an apartment or something, some nondescript place. But keep in mind that you need to recover. You need to put your pieces back together. And if you're going to do that and you've put up the barriers and you've mined the approaches and sighted in the artillery, that means you're not going to move much. So I knew that the place I had to get would have to be a place where I could do some healing and be at peace with where I am. When I wake up, when I go to bed, when I come home, when I do my day. And so I paid a bit more, probably 30% more than I could have got away with for truly stunning little place, the little hundred-year-old worker's cottage in front of the windmill on a little body of water in a little private gated community with my deck over the water and a postcard in front of you and lovely neighbours and a cool, cool little place that everyone who walks into. I had a colleague from work come over on Friday after dinner, after work, at a barbecue, he hadn't been here before, and he was the guy that I was in Louisiana with on the first trip. And uh, he's in his late 50s, and he was just blown away. He couldn't believe it. He was like, what a place. What a place. And I was like, I'm like yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty darn good. And it's been worth every penny, gentlemen. That money was worth it. Every bit of it. Every goddamn bit of it, that money was worth it. Because when you're, when you're fixing yourself, when you're putting your pieces back together, it's just a slow process. Your environment's key. It's absolutely key to that. I got lucky. Big time. Or someone was looking out for me. Ultimately, and this is so important, ultimately in a myriad of ways, I'm better off now than when I was with my ex-wife. So you've got to go down before you can jump up. As always. And nothing, nothing, nothing ever makes much sense at all when you're in the middle of doing it. So you've got to keep calm, you've got to hold fast. And don't fuck up. You just had a bomb thrown at you, you've got to pull your head in. 
Another thing that I did, which was really important, was was I didn't let my misery be an excuse to in, overindulge in things. And I already said, stated that I stayed away from the girls. But it would have been pretty easy to hit the source, and plenty of guys do. I didn't do that. Wasn't off the source. Have a drink every day, just about. But didn't exaggerate and I didn't use it as an excuse to wallow in the old self-pities. I also held my shit together at work. This one's really important too, you know. I realised that people at work would have sympathy for me up to a point. But at the end of the day... You just got to get on with your job and not take your problems to work and not take those problems out on everyone else. Because if everyone took their problems to work, well, that'd be pretty well unbearable, wouldn't it? So, after the initial period, I just got on with it. I probably wasn't as easy to deal with as I normally would have been. And someone did say to me the other day, I definitely have relaxed a lot more over the last few months. But that's just the price you've got to pay. But I did my best not to take it out on the people around me. I also stayed in shape. Though I haven't been to the gym since the lockdown happened. My gym's just started up again with an outside place, but I'm not going to go back until it's running normally. I think that's another month. So I've been away from the gym for about, I think it's eight or nine weeks now. So that's the first time in about four years that I haven't been working out. Um, so obviously the strength's gone down. That's, you know, without question. You'd basically be starting again from the beginning when I go back. Um, but what's good is the body is still looks as it was up to the point where I was working out. Um, I actually think the break's been good physically from the whole the plague, the Chinese pox. Uh, the eight or ten weeks off, whatever it's been from the gym. I'll probably work out about three months once I go back. I think the break's been really good. It's, uh, you know, sometimes you've, you've got to have a bit of a reset. Sometimes you've got to let your body have a bit of a, a break, recover. Four years hard, three times a week most of the time. Heavy weights. Yeah. I'm looking forward to get back to the gym because I think it'll be a jump up as well on that. It's like intermittent fasting. It, it does you good. It gives your system a bit of a break, a bit of a chance to... Uh, work things out but staying in shape in the time since the ex-wife walked out of me was also very important once again it, it it's easy to let yourself go in, in a variety of different ways but all it does is compound the problem because then you feel extra misery so you've got to keep yourself up there and you can't let her win 
and you can't let them win. Remember, you're a white heterosexual male, you're the enemy, they want to see you fail. They rejoice when you fail, so the best up yours that you can give to our crippled societies at large is to be bomb-proof. That's the best you can do. So it's a good feeling, chaps. It's a it's a good feeling to come out the other side. It's a good feeling to uh, break on through, as it were. Um, and I really I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life when I was driving to work in the car. I can I can picture the exact point in the road where I was when I realised that I was free of it. And I was clear. And man, a feeling of joy like that, I can't ever remember having to that extent. It was just glorious. I never thought I'd get there. You never think when you're in the shit, when you're in the dark tunnel, you just don't even know how you're going to get out of it but you will if you do it right the more you do it right the sooner you'll come out which is why you don't give in to the self-pity and wallow it and use it as an excuse to sabotage yourself even further you've already been shat on don't add to the manure pile yourself I'm very proud of the way that I've got through this. Very, very proud indeed. And sometimes you've got to give yourself a pat on the back. Out of all the things I've done in my life, this is the thing that I'm the most satisfied with. I handled this really well. And I handled it. I think a part of that also is, of course, the writing and the the recordings and that thing that I do. If you write, as I do, as a man, about holding yourself to a higher standard, then it forces you to hold yourself to that higher standard. You know, when the the ex-wife announced it in the moment, in the panic. I expressed out loud to her that, well, then I'll just have to end the blog and everything that I've done and all the writings because how could I possibly keep going in the face of this? I've lost all credibility. That was my initial reaction. But the opposite has been the case. It's given me credibility but because of the way that I've handled it. So it was an opportunity to, you know, have some skin in the game, as it were. Walk the walk. Words are easy, remember. An ideal in words. And to reevaluate 
because my marriage was doomed from the outset because it was founded on nothing except attraction, both physical and intellectual and psychological and feeling. Which is fine for guys because we're loyal. We're like dogs in that way. But women aren't intrinsically. It needs some, the foundation needs to be much more solid than that. Future plans? None at all. None in that regard. I ain't looking because I don't need someone to fill the hole. I don't need someone to tell me I'm okay because I know I'm okay. Maybe I've always been the ultimate bachelor. I was always different from my peers in that sense. When my colleague came over here on Friday and he thought the house was like, fucking hell, man, this is you down to a T. Because it screams, Bachelor. Maybe I'll end up with someone, maybe I won't. Either way, I'm fine with that. Absolutely fine. Gee, it feels good, lads. Can't tell you how much it feels good. Oh, you've got no idea. She could knock on the door now and I wouldn't care. That's so nice. That's really good. I did it alone because I'm on the other side of the world from most of my friends and family, but uh, of course there is a community of such with uh, the followers that I have on the podcast and the website and people who read my books. And You guys have also been good too. And you definitely played a part. So thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I had my head in the sand with my marriage in the last two years, especially when we moved to the Netherlands. Because all the signs were there, but I didn't want it, that to be the reality, so I didn't acknowledge it, which meant, could I have done something about it? I think I could have think I could have but I didn't want to acknowledge that it might be the case so if you're listening to this and that's you because you know straight away in your gut whether it is or not you may as well do something about it right now because it's better to be have the power than be powerless and it's better to make the moves and have the moves made against you and then try and claw your way back and ultimately, you'll have nothing to lose because it's going to happen either way, right? 
so it may as well be on your terms. So if the signs are there, then you know it, boys. Let's not kid each other, huh? If the signs are there, then confront it head on. Maybe by doing so, you'll get some balls back. And I suppose, in effect, that's what I've got. Because I started off with the balls, and I was very upfront about it when we first got together those years ago. But it got watered down because I got comfortable and I didn't want to risk losing what I had, which meant I lost it. That's okay. I feel good about it. Which is why this has been a very nice week. Shoutouts, Captain Capitalism, over there near the Twin Cities, which is burning to the ground. Cappy's a good guy. He wrote a piece on how Minnesotans deserve all of the jungle fever that they're getting. I think there was a comment on his blog. Someone said they ended up in the can for a while, a few years ago, and it was an eye-opening experience for a white guy, and he said uh, they all knew that you can take the monkey out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the monkey. Yeah, resettle 70,000 Somalian uh, shipping pirates in your backyard and see how that goes for you. Enjoy your diversities. Cappy's got a good article on that at the moment. CaptainCapitalism.blogspot.com. He's also got podcasts. He's also got YouTube videos. He's got books. He's got rhythm. He's got style. So he should you should shave, Cappy. Uh, him and the great one went out on some uh, hiking walks the last few weeks. They sent me a photo of the two of them, and I noticed that they're out in the middle of the thing. They've been bush bashing. They've been camping, and the great one was freshly shaven in the photo. Good man. Looking smart, great one. Looking the part. The great one, though, has uh, fallen into the horrible situation of begging for money on the internet. He's uh, set up a uh, Patreon account, of all things, a thing that he always, one of the things he gave Cappy a lot of shit about doing, and uh, he's now doing it too. Well, my principles, eh? My principles. Great one. What's going on there, you fucking loser? You'll never get me begging for money on the internet because, I mean, you're a panhandler, aren't you? You're, a, you're an internet panhandler if you're doing that. Uh, Z-Man's good for that one. Let's go. Let me open the Z-Man site because I love that. Haven't been reading him much lately. Just says the same things. You know the two the two writers on on my blog blog roll that I'm really going off are the Z Man and Rollo. Uh, Rollo had a new article or something come out about revenge. I I got I got a few paragraphs in and I couldn't do it. I didn't read it. It's just not doing it for me. Anyway, oh here we go. Let's get to the bottom of uh, this article here by the Z Man. Ah. For sites like this to exist, it requires people like you chipping in a few bucks a month to keep the lights on and the people fed. 
It turns out that you can't live on clicks and compliments. Five bucks a month is not a lot to ask. If you don't want to commit to a subscription, make a one-time donation or you can send money to blah, blah, blah. You can also use PayPal to send a few bucks rather than have that laddie at Starbucks. Thanks for your support, you pathetic fuck. Uh, what did the great ones say here at the Cynical Libertarian Society? <laughs> the Cynical Libertarian Society is begging for money on the internet. <laughs> you fucking sad cunt. Uh, you asked for it, now give me your money is the title of his piece. Some of those, those of you with class and intelligence have asked me to set up a method for you to give me money. In exchange for all this fucking off that I'm doing probably. After years of battling the system... I'll tell you the punchline to the PayPal ordeal in an upcoming podcast. I've finally set up a PayPal account. So after years of having principles, you've just thrown them away. <laughs> How long will it last? I'm sure the clock is already ticking until they cancel it because reasons you can give me. The great one himself, your hard-earned money. Or if you're a cute girl, I'll give you something hard, but that's a different story. When you do the PayPal and see your money is going to Dynamic Media LLC, that's me. Now fucking pay up much love, bitches, you sad fucking cunt. Listen, all of us, me, the Z-Man, Cappy, the great one, we set up, up, up our websites and we started writing and podcasting because we wanted to do it. That's it to retrospectively guilt trip people into giving money is just shit. Absolutely shit. Now, I've had people write to me and ask me to set up them. They, I want to give you money. And I say, buy my books. And they say, I've already bought your books. And I say, well, then buy them as a gift for someone. But I have been working on a way for you guys to give me money but I'm doing it in a way that benefits you. So, as of tomorrow, as of the time that this podcast comes out, what I've done is I've spent the last year or so trying to find what I thought was a product that my readers would not only like and purchase, but actually benefit from, and a deal that would be great for my readers and really good for me. And I've done it. And the product is called Goose VPN. It's a VPN. I've been using it for the last over a year on my computers and my phone. And it's absolutely brilliant. And I know the guys who run it. And they've set up an affiliate for me with a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant offer. Uh, it's, uh, what is it? I think it's 135 bucks or maybe it's $139. And you get VPN for life. That's it. One time hit, you're done. If you click it through my site. Uh, and I get a very big chunk of that. A very big chunk. Over 50%. So if you want to support me, you don't have seek. You see, guys, you see Great One, you see Z-Man, see Cappy, you don't need to beg for money on the internet. You just find a product that people will want. Now, maybe none of you will buy it. Ah, I've also got a standard one as well, where you can just sign up for a monthly subscription and cancel it at any time, but every month I'll get a cut. Every single month. 
if you click it obviously through my site. If you don't need a VPN, if you don't think you need a VPN, or if you've already got one, then get it for a family member. I mean, so many of you people are older and have got kids. How many kids have you got? Buy them all a VPN. So you're cruising a lot safer on the internet. I think that's a really good product to offer through my blog. And that's what I'm doing. So it's not begging for money. It's offering an exchange. That's what capitalism is all about. Remember, boys? So there you go. So for all those people who've written me over the years and spoken to me and gone, oh, I really want to give you money, all right? Now's your chance. Let's see where you are with that. Hey, if you like this podcast, you can follow it. You can follow my blog, pushingrubberdownhill.com. You can buy my books as well, Pushing Rubber Downhill and Run Guts Pull Cones. You can leave a review. Haven't had a review for a while, guys. Come on, pick up your act. Um, and uh, listen, thanks for uh, tuning in. This has been a special podcast. This has been a milestone podcast for obvious reasons. So thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for all your support uh, in this period. And I hope that you hearing uh, my clear and stress-free voice uh, will give you some satisfaction uh, that you also help me out in a very difficult time. This is Adam Piggott signing off in the Netherlands. We'll talk to you the next week. Ciao.